0: All right, we are now in uh, 1 Samuel, chapter 25. We are continuing our study of, of David, and we're now we're going to see the interesting juxtaposition of, of the character of David. And I believe this is why God shows us this life, because the prior chapter, we see David exhibiting incredibly godly characteristics, where, where he comes upon Saul, and he could have slain Saul, And his men wanted him to kill Saul, and instead he snips off a part of Saul's garment, spares his life, uh, and forgives Saul for the evil perpetuated upon David. Uh, And we studied all the permutations about how that is exactly how God wants us to live our life. He wants us to forgive, and we spent a great deal of time going through all the passages on forgiveness. Well... It's the next day, spiritually speaking, uh, and David is now going to show us a different side, okay? Uh, And I think this is the lesson for us, is that when we have these triumphs, don't go living in the glory of the triumph. Don't go saying, I said, Jesus, I'm ready, I've got it, I got it all down, Pat. Not so fast, because you're still carrying around the old man, the flesh, and don't you ever forget it. Uh, and that's what this story is about, the flesh, what happens. Um, and this is an, another incredible story involving David, an ignoramus named Nabal, and a beautiful woman named Abigail. Uh, and I'm not going to read all the verses that, that, uh, in this chapter, but I'm going to try to focus in on what goes on here. Now, the, the, the story that goes on here is that when David's men were protecting the town of Keilah, uh, one of the people that he was protecting was Nabal. And he was protecting this guy's enormous holdings, several thousand uh, heads of cattle and sheep, an extremely wealthy man, and protecting him from attack by the Philistines. <clears throat> and, uh, and so it, Nabal's men were indebted, indebted to David, and David's men for protection. And so in that culture, In that culture, uh, when you would protect people like this, you were entitled to be reimbursed, to be given a gift. Um, And so uh, in this passage, David sent men to Nabal in order to secure some food. So let's take a look at verses uh, 4. Look at verse 4 in this passage. While David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent 10 young men and said to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household, and good health to all that is yours. I, I love the way David does that. You know, I, I, you know good, have a great life. I hope God blesses you. Everything is good. Uh, not so fast. Not so fast. Verse 7, now I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. Ask your servants, and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my young men, since we come at a festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. You couldn't look for a more humble application. He didn't demand anything. He asked for it. He he gave uh, Nabal honor uh, and treated him with respect. He did everything that you would expect a godly man to do, uh, and yet... In the presence of an ignoramus, that's not enough. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal a message in David's name. Then they waited. Now, look, look at this ignoramus responding. Nabal answered David's servants, "Who is this David?" And by the way, he knew who he was. Okay, who is that? That's that's in, in the more in the metaphorical sense. Who do you think you are? That's probably the better way to translate that in the in the Garippa translation. Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where? He completely denigrates this guy. He completely denigrates David. You're nothing more than effectively slaves breaking away from your masters. Why should I go out of my way for slaves breaking away from your masters? It's ridiculous. Um, And so he maligns him. He slanders him. um, And he offers him nothing. Nothing. After he had been treated with grace, respect, and protection. And I'm going to speak about this later because Nabal is a picture of the lost world. David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to his men, Put on your swords. So they put on their swords, and David put on his. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. And now, what they intend to do is to wipe out every living thing in Nabal's property. Everything. What happened? Somebody up front said, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I have often felt that way. I've spent a lifetime trying to get away from that but but you see what happens that even a godly man even a man who God has used who is who is anointed gets to a point sometimes when he walks away from the grace of God and now wants to do something in his own power and now you're going to see a disaster possibly occur a disaster occurring Uh, and so you you see this and it's horrendous and so Now they put on their swords, and they're going down to set the record straight. Verse 14, one of the servants told Nabal's wife Abigail, David sent messengers from the desert to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at them. Yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us, and the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing was missing. Night and day, they were a wall around us all the time we were herding our sheep. Can you imagine how how good David's men were to these other people, protecting them, protecting them, the hand of God, protecting them. And here you see the servants recognizing the gift of God. And now they're, t- they're speaking to David. Now think it over and see what you can do, <clears throat> because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk to him. Now you see there, God intervenes. He lets a servant speak to the wife, and the wife is a godly woman. She, she is really the epitome of the kind of woman uh, we would want to marry, we would want our daughters to be like. This woman, Abigail, is extraordinary. Uh, and how she acts in this passage is extraordinary, and you're going to see it uh, as we're going to study this. And so um, M- Nabal responds negatively in a way that expressed his harsh and evil character he implied that David and his men were slaves that they had broken away from their masters Um, he insulted them with their response he had no respect for them and now when Abigail learns Abigail learns that David was coming with his entourage to destroy the entire household she responds quickly quickly Um, and and I love this because obviously what she does is she doesn't speak to her husband. She just does it because she knows it's the will of God. Uh, And and when you see a godly woman like this, you recognize that that God has put discernment in their hearts. And so she recognized that she had to do this quickly. And so look at how she responds. Abigail lost no time, verse 18. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five siyas of roasted grain, 100 cakes of raisins, 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. Then she told her servants, go on ahead, I'll follow. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. Why? Because she knew he was an ignoramus. You understand? She knew he was outside of the will of God. And even though she was a godly woman, all right, she was a godly woman, unequally yoked, folks. You understand that phrase? Unequally yoked. All right, this is what happens when godly people wind up uh, getting into relationships with ungodly people, all right, and the Bible is full of it, the Bible is full of these things, you see what happens. There is no more important thing in your life uh, than to make sure you impress this story on your children and your grandchildren. If you want to have a happy life, you're a Christian, you need to marry someone who has a similar perspective towards God. I didn't say the same denomination. I said the similar, a similar affinity towards God, who approaches God the same way you do and respects God and respects the will of God in their life. And so you see this here now. She effectively becomes uh, the priest of the home because he's abdicated that position. And so as she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending towards her, and she met them. David had just said, it's been, it's been useless, all my watching over this fellow's property in the desert so that nothing was lost. He, he has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with De- David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. Wow, that's a pretty serious thing David just said. Like, in other words, <clears throat> if I don't kill every single male in this house by tomorrow morning. I hope God deals severely with me. David, brother, you're losing your mind. All right? I mean, this is not the kind of thing you want to affirm before God. All right? This is not a promise that God wants to hear. All right? You are about to commit a massive sin, a gigantic sin, because your heart has been consumed with anger. All right? Uh, and this is a big story for us, because I think that a lot of us fall into this trap over the issue of of anger. Uh, and And even though we may have walked away a prior day with success and being being in the light of God's wisdom, you see how quickly, how quickly uh, it it goes bad. And so, The truth of our spiritual life is that when you have a victory over a great temptation, you are vulnerable to a smaller one. That's what happens. In other words, God has given you a victory. Now you think you're on top of the mountain. You don't realize that you're just one small step away from falling into temptation again. And that's what happened here. That's exactly what happened. And so Abigail goes out to intercede on behalf of her husband. Uh, she could have said that my husband deserves all the judgment that he has coming to him. But this is not the type of woman that she was. She didn't say that. She, didn't, she did not uh, degrade her husband. She didn't call him an ignoramus. She didn't call him that or say to him, she, he, he, he needs a beating. Uh, and instead, you see, you see her speaking out in, in an intercessory way On behalf of her husband when abigail verse 23 when abigail saw david she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before david with her face to the ground she fell at his feet and by the way this is a tremendous example of how to approach people when you're reconciling all right this is how you approach people in a spirit of reconciliation God teaches us so much here. Look at how she, does, she did. If you want to reconcile with somebody, you need to go to them with a great sense of humility. You don't go to somebody if you want to reconcile with a sense of arrogance and superiority. You know, you're lucky I'm here. You know, because you're an ass, and, and I'm, I'm a godly guy. I'm a godly man and a righteous man, let me add. And so God has put on my heart that I need to reconcile with you. Oh, yeah, you're gonna go far with that reconciliation. That's not how we reconcile. You wanna reconcile, here's what you see. You see the picture of Abigail bowing down the face in the dust, uh, 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 lowering herself. She fell at his feet and said, my Lord, let the blame be on me alone. Oh, man, I love that. Let the blame be on me alone. This lady didn't do anything. But she was speaking in a, in a figurative sense to disarm David, uh, letting him know that, that, that uh, they needed forgiveness and that she was coming with this spirit of reconciliation. Let the blame be on me alone. Please let your, let your servant speak to you. Let, please let your servant speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. May my Lord pay no attention to the wicked man Nabal. He is just like his name. His name is full. That's that's the definition. If you looked up Nabal, I'm, I'm amazed that his parents would have named him that. But that's what they did. <clears throat> his name was Fool, and folly goes with him. I guess so. But as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my master sent. Now, since the Lord has sent you, my master, from uh, now since the Lord has kept you, my master, from bloodshed. And from avenging yourself with your own hands, as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, may your enemies and all who intend to harm my master be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my master be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servant's offense, for the Lord will certainly make a lasting dynasty Uh, For my master, because he fights the Lord's battles. Let no wrongdoing be found in you as long as you live. Wow. You see the voice of God through this woman? Your dynasty is going to be created. God is going to lift you up for the ages. You will be an example to all of Israel. Don't let this stain go on your record. Oh, yes, he's an ignoramus. Yes, he's done you wrong, but don't enact revenge. Don't kill him. Don't commit a sin. Oh, God, I want to say something to you. And I could say this in my own life. I have found that when I have gone and deviated from God's will in my life, I thank Jesus that he has forgiven me, but also has intervened in my life and protected me from doing stupid things. Can I get an amen? Amen. How many of you know this? That even as you're in the process of sinning, even as you're going down a a path that's not within the will of God, God intervenes in our lives. He sends notifications, he gives you a feeling, and yes, he sends guilt, guilt, conviction. Even though you'd like to go and be and do something, And you're tempted to go and do it, and God convicts you. What do you think that is? That's the Holy Spirit warning you don't go there. Don't do this. Don't go down that path. There's repercussions. There's repercussions. Here's the thing, folks. God loves you. He sent you Jesus. But when you go and sin, notwithstanding everything that God does, there's a judgment on us. There's a judgment on us. Uh, Don't think you walk away unscathed. You don't walk away unscathed. Because not only do you sin yourself, but many times the scar tissue affects your wife and your kids and your family and your reputation, all because you had some momentary uh, lustful thought or some movement in your life or some act of revenge. Look, this revenge issue resonates with me, all right? Because I know, it, I know what it's like to, to, to be confronted by evil people. All right, I know what it's like to have people say slanderous things about you, and the the way we are inside us, basically, we want to reach out and pull out their windpipes. (laughs) Or maybe that's just me. (laughs) I'm sure you're not like that. Okay, I'm sure you're not like that. But, you know, uh, I'll tell you a true story. I was in court once, and I'll have to try to edit this in a way that can get through the editors on the radio station, but effectively I was in court once and I saw this, this guy, a punk uh, consultant to a lawyer, beating up old people. Beating them up, actually, in court. In other words, when I say beating them up, mocking them, mocking them. and As they tried to get up and testify, he would, he would uh, interpose himself in this hearing. Uh, and say that their evidence was no good, they didn't apply with the rules, and one old person after the other. And I'm there waiting to to present my case on behalf of a major Fortune 500 company. And I had spoken to his associate, the attorney, and said, hey, listen, if you talk to your boss, the guy who owns the company, he knows me, he knows me. uh, And maybe we can work this out. And so he goes out and makes a call. He comes back, and he doesn't see me. So I walk up to the defense table, and I said, did you have a chance to call your boss? Uh, and with that, this 30-year-old punk turns around with slick black hair and says to me, and this was only maybe seven or eight years ago, <clears throat> and says to me, I'm not afraid of you. What do you think you are? We're not going to sit and talk to you. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, Lord. Mercy, Father mercy father and so uh i sat down and then i got up again and i walked over to him and i'm telling you this to show you to show you that your bible teacher struggles with a lot of these issues and i leaned over to him and i said i just want you to know that when i present my case if you attempt to get up and speak I'm going to rip out your windpipe, <laughs> and I'm going to do something to it with you that you're not going to appreciate. That's the, ed- that's the edited part of the portion. <clears throat> I didn't say another word, I sat down. So help me, the Lord. Put my case on, put it on, put my expert witness on, who testifies at length. The, the uh, judge says to the, the other side, do you have anything to uh, put in opposition to Mr. Gariput? This guy, no. <laughs> I'm sure you have something you must want to say. No. <laughs> but you've been speaking out all day. There's nothing you want to add. It's the biggest case on the docket. Was it like a $300 million case? Nope. And so I said, all right, we'll take it uh, under advisement. So as I'm packing up my, my uh, case, uh, and, and I, you know, I was convicted, all right? I was convicted. It was like God says to me, come on now, John. You know you don't want to be that kind of person. Show, show what a Christian acts like. Be a Christian. So, all right, so I reach over to the guy, and I reach out my hand. I said, look, no, no hard feelings, you know? No hard feelings. Jesus loves you. No, I didn't say that. But <laughs> But I said, no hard feelings, and he went like this. Just like this, it was as if a soldier went on attention with his hands, it was no way he was gonna touch my hands. No way he was gonna reach out and show the slightest bit of respect towards me, nothing. And with this the judge goes, oh my, that is a disgrace. Mr. Garippa reached out to you in friendship and in respect. And you showed him no respect. I am very, very disappointed to you. And with that, his lawyer said, yes, Judge, but you didn't hear what Mr. Grippa said to him about (laughs) 10 minutes before. And I said, I don't know what he's talking about. And so here's the reason I tell you stories like this. You understand? You see that kind of behavior? It lurks just beneath the facade of Christianity. You understand? You understand? You're just like me. Maybe the difference is that in my case, often I act on these impulses, okay? Some, some, most guys maybe think about it and, and, and don't do it, but I, you know, when I, was, when I saw the injustice of what was taking place in that courtroom, my blood boiled. I couldn't stand it. I couldn't stand it. Uh, and so here's the thing so you may think you may think oh yes God I'm so God I'm so close to you now I would never be subject to these temptations I would never do these kind of things let me assure you friends don't go down that path don't go down that path I want you to read first Corinthians chapter 10 first Corinthians chapter 10 verse 12 Verse 11, these things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So, and underlying this, if you think you are standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. Boy, what an example that is of how God protects us. Don't think you cannot fall. Don't think you're going to six Bible studies a week. You're going to two church services. You're going out midweek. You're down at the jail. All right? All right. You're at St. Matthew's house. There's not a minute in your life that's not in some way being involved in propagating the gospel of Jesus. Well, maybe there's a minute or two. And you know what? It's that minute or two that suddenly brings some temptation into your field of screen, your radar. And all of a sudden, all the things that you thought about, all of a sudden, bing, temptation comes and you find yourself starting to fall. This is because we walk in the flesh. All right? Even godly men, even good men, even men that are, that are serving God, even men who are anointed of God, even David, who will be in the line of Jesus Christ, will sit here and will be swearing to God, I'm going to kill every single male by tomorrow morning. Oh, wow. And so I, I, this is an important thing for you to understand how God is protecting you, and he wants you to be aware of that. And so here this woman now, as interceding on behalf of God, really, to David, it's not about her husband. It's because God doesn't want David to stain himself. He doesn't want his legacy to be ruined. He doesn't want him to murder hundreds of people because this guy didn't show him respect. And so I ask God to, to intervene in, in your life. There are people here in this room right now who need to hear this message. I don't know your situation. I don't know what it's about. But there's, some, there's somebody here in this room, I'm sure of it, who is in some way right now impacted by evil that finds themselves in a position where it's very easy, easy to enact evil back. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't go down that road. Don't let Satan have that victory. Don't let, don't let that come into your life uh, because God is speaking, he's speaking to us today about how important this is. And, and so, uh, when she spoke like this, uh, and you see her godly appeal to, to David, telling him that he's going he's gonna to be king. God has got great things for him. He's going to have a wonderful legacy. Um, and, and so, uh, he is both uh, corrected uh, and encouraged by her words. Her humble tone, without any accusation or sarcasm, uh, made her appeal effective. Um, and she began with the confession of sin. The blame is on me. Uh, and she didn't excuse her husband's act. She didn't. She didn't make excuses for him. She went directly to David. She bowed in humility, and she averted disaster. Uh, and reminding David of his standing before God, his standing before God. Oh, look at this nincompoop! Don't let your godly standing go down the drain because of this moron. Look at the greater uh, thing of life. God has called you forever to be part of his kingdom. He's called us to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. How are you going to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ when there's carnage at your feet? When you've you've killed a 100 people? When you've murdered innocent people? Even though you were offended? Even though you were offended, you see this, that God, God speaks volumes here. How, how, how important this is uh, to us to, to explain this and understand this. And so w- what is the example here? Well, if he had committed that murder, that is a judgment by God. You kill an innocent person, there's a judgment of God. Does that mean you're not going to go to heaven? You'll still go to heaven, but there are judgments in this world. There's suffering in this world. Things will happen in this world. God doesn't let that kind of thing go untouched. We know that. We know that. So we need to be aware of that. Um, And so uh, you you see this prophetic element here, uh, understanding how, uh, how Abigail was used. And look now at verse 32. Let's go back and look at 1 Samuel 25, verse 32. David said to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord the God of Israel who has sent you today to meet me. Now, you see, that's what you love about David, his teachable spirit. He knew that God had sent Abigail. This wasn't a woman who was just doing something uh, to protect her husband, but God had touched her heart. She was delivering a message to David from God, and he knew it. May you be blessed for your good judgment, underline that, and for keeping me, from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Otherwise, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, who has kept me from harming you, if you had not come quickly to meet you, not one male belonging to Nabal would have left, been left alive by daybreak. He repeats it. Obviously, this is what he meant it. Then David accepted from her hand what she had brought him and said, Go home in peace. I have heard your words and granted your, your request. What an example, what an example of a godly woman who intervenes on behalf of her family, who delivers the word of God, who does it in humility, who doesn't doesn't look to lift yourself up, but instead honors the word of God and delivers this message to David, the future king of Israel, in the line of Jesus Christ, preventing him from this terrible, terrible sin that would have been an awful stain on his character and on the kingdom of God. Uh, and so he, he recognizes it. And the thing about David, and this is the example of uh, the other example about David, David had a teachable spirit. So when David was instructed, when David's spirit was touched, he stopped. He didn't continue. <laughs> He didn't say to her, you're only a woman. I don't want to hear this from you. You don't know what your husband did. He deserves a bad beating, and I'm going to give it to him today. This has been coming to him for a long time. Look, you know all the things we would have said. You understand? <clears throat> and instead, David says, you're right. God's used you to speak to me, and I'm, and I'm going to honor God. I will not do this. I will not go out um, and, 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 and dishonor God. And so Abigail alters the course of history simply by being obedient to the Lord. The course of history is altered by this woman who, who gives honor to God, who uses her judgment and discernment that God gave her, the wisdom. And now Nabal, Nabal on the other hand, gives us an example of the lost world. All right, If you had any idea about how moronic and lost this guy is, you read the verses that follow here. When uh, Abigail returned home, Nabal was in the process of holding a feast. How's that for being oblivious to the fact that judgment is about to be put on your head? That's the world. Let's have a party. Let's go out, drink, and be merry. Let's have a good time. But the Lord's going to come for you tonight. Oh, I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about that. Let's just party it up oblivious to what had happened, oblivious to the fact that David was coming to annihilate him, and oblivious to the fact that his wife had gone out there and saved his life. He's having a party, and that's what the lost world is doing. They're living it up. They're having a party, not realizing that a day of judgment is coming, and we want to we be like the Abigails. We want to be able to go out and intervene on behalf of a lost world uh, and warn them, and warn them, and you see what happens here. His very life is in danger. He he had no idea, and so what goes on here this is a fascinating passage. Um, look at uh, uh, verse 36. When Abigail went to Nabal, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing until daybreak. By the way, what a great wife this is! Can you imagine how many wives would come home seeing her husband plastered, having a feast, knowing that he had just jeopardized the entire operation. And most women would have, would have taken out a, a, a stick or a bat and started screaming at him. Not this woman. Not this woman. What a godly woman, really. A, you know, you read these things, and it, it kind of comes back to me as I'm, I'm reading it. Then in the morning, when Nabal was sober, I'm sure she's been through this before. When Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things. And his heart failed, and he became like a stone. He died. He fell over Dead. What do you think happened? He had a stroke, most likely. He drops dead. Now, is it possible that that was a judgment of God? Is it possible that that was a judgment of God? I would say to you there's a very good likelihood that it was. That it was. That even in the midst of his ignorance, uh, knowing what he had had done, uh, that God intervened uh, and punished him. Uh, And it says then he he didn't, he dropped like a stone. Then it says about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. So he lingered for 10 days and then he dies. Uh, And so what a picture this is. Uh, After Nabal sobered up a bit, uh, hearing how close he had come to losing his head, he had a stroke. Nabal's death was more than a medical problem, much more than a medical problem. It was a spiritual problem. It was a direct result of judgment. I want you to read Acts chapter 12, please. Acts chapter 12, this is a story of Herod the king, and if you have any doubts as to how God enacts judgment against evildoers, uh, I want to assure you that God enacts judgment. We don't know, we don't know how the hand of God works, but I want to give you a biblical example. Verse 21, on the appointed day, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat on his throne and delivered a public address to the people. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of a man. And I'm going to stop and tell you to underline that. Put an asterisk next to it in your Bible. And to tell you that that's one of the worst things that any human being could do. To allow themselves to be viewed as God. To allow themselves to be put up as to being holy as God. To be powerful as God. Verse 23, immediately, because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down, and he was eaten by worms and died. Mere happenstance? (laughs) An accident? No. No. You understand? You understand how God acts? There is a judgment of God. There is a judgment. When you violate God's will, when you go against God's word, there is a judgment. And God was protecting David. He was protecting him from this sin. And you see this. And so Nabal, on the other hand, who was not a godly man, who, who, who was everything opposite a godly man, uh, who had basically defied the anointed of God. You see that. And you understand how... how, how Uh, Nabal was struck down by God as well and so you see this and so the story takes on an even more interesting an interesting turn which I which I like because all right now 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 Nabal is dead I don't know what's gone on maybe what two weeks I think in the story about two weeks has gone by uh uh uh, two weeks is gone Uh, Abigail's been a, a widow for, I don't know what, three, four days? We wait, we, we wait a respectable amount of time, okay, maybe five days. We made a, a, uh, and so let's take a look at verse 39, because again, this shows you the other side of David. You're saying, I love this stuff, but what God is showing us, here it is. Okay, he's teachable. Oh, but he's, he's bad. He did a bad thing. But, oh, but he listened to me and he's repented. Oh, okay. But now, (laughs) Nabal's dead. The widow is available for five days. And so what happens next? What happens next? Verse 39. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord, who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. Then... David sent word to Abigail asking her to become his wife. What? That's right. He asked her to become his wife. Now, this was, frankly, the Achilles' heel of David. And I know some of you have a similar Achilles' heel. David had a problem uh, with sexual lust, he did. All right? He had a problem with sexual lust. Well, you're saying to me, well, what, wasn't he married at this time? Well, he was married to, to uh, Michael, that's Saul's daughter, but Saul, in his uh, imminent goodness, decided that when, once David was fleeing, he gave Michael away to another man, even though they were married. I don't know how that happens, well, but I guess if you're the king, you can do whatever you want. So she was already married then to a second guy, and so now David begins to get involved in multiple marriages. Uh, he he uh, marries Abigail, and then he will shortly thereafter, or about the same time, marry another woman. And, and the, other, the marriage of the other woman does not turn out well. In fact, the son of that other marriage will wind up raping one of the daughters in David's house. It's an awful story. Honestly, it's an awful story. And, and what I'm saying to you is that God had made it pretty clear in the Bible, that man should have one wife. Uh, In fact, turn to Deuteronomy 17. Right? You know, I mean, really. Do I have to preach stuff like this? But I feel like God wants me to say it. Deuteronomy 17 verse 14, they're talking about how to live when you go into the promised land. When you enter the land your Lord your God has given you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say, let us set a king over us like the nations around us, be sure to appoint over you the king the Lord your God chooses. He must be from among your own brothers. Do not place a foreigner over you, one who is not a brother Israelite. The king, one who is not a brother Israelite. The king moreover must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them, for the Lord has told you you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives, or his heart will be led astray. All right? That was the warning. And you know that David had that problem, and his son Solomon really pushed it over the edge. He pushed it over the edge, and that was effectively what did them in, what did them in. And we know that, that David's great sin with Bathsheba came as a result of sexual lust. All right? Sexual lust. And so I would say to you, uh, you know, as we've studied this passage, as we study this passage and you see God speaking uh, to David uh, and protecting David, God is telling you, all of us, me first and all of us, to be wary of our proclivities, our proclivities. Some of us, it's anger some of us it's power some of us it's lust some of us it's lust for power or prestige for some of us it's sexual lust and i know that some of you are saying oh come on john look at the average age of the guy in this room (laughs) i don't care (laughs) all right because until we put dirt on some of you you're still very capable of getting into trouble all right, in any number of reasons. And I know if I I took a vote here, a silent, confidential vote, I'd get some accurate answers, all right? And so God is warning us and doing this uh, and and so protecting us in every way. Uh, And so I want you to understand how the wisdom that God gave Abigail was godly wisdom and the kind of wisdom we need to seek. Turn to James chapter 3, verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual of the devil. For where you have envy and selfish ambition There you will find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace raise a harvest of righteousness. Boy, what a great verse that is. This is the epitome of Abigail. This is what she had, and this is a gift of God. That verse there, 17, tells you what what wisdom from God is like. Wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. It's pure. It's not self-serving. It's pure. Then it's peace-loving. God's given you wisdom. That wisdom should lead to peace, not to division, not to strife. And And then it's considerate. It's considerate um and it's submissive underline the word submissive submissive honestly i don't think there's a more important word that god gives us uh as to characteristics that we need to be aware of than submissive it's the very opposite of what we are we have never been submissive but for the grace of god we wouldn't be saved all right we don't we don't ever submit ourselves Maybe we say we submit, but you know in your heart you don't. You know that even when you get some of these messages that I'm delivering to you right now, some of you are saying, well, that doesn't apply to me. That's not for me. I don't need to take that. He's good on some things. He's bad on other things. Not rec- I mean, I know it. I, know. I Listen, how do I know it? Because I sat in your chair. I've listened to sermons where I've said the same thing. You know, and, and, and you understand that's a lack of submission. That's a lack of submission. God wants you to submit to his word full of mercy and good fruit. That's the kind of wisdom God wants you to have. Impartial and sincere. That kind of wisdom is not partial. You don't go in and, and, and impart your wisdom with a, with a predetermined set of actions. You don't decide, well, I'm, st- I'm speaking on behalf of this guy and I'll just say whatever I have to do to support this guy. Uh, no, no, God doesn't do that. God wants fairness, impartiality. Uh, and, and peace-loving nature and submission in our life. And when we do that, you'll see the results of, of, in that, of that situation. And you see that here. That's what this story is about. So this woman, used by God, raised up by God, to intervene and intercede on behalf of an evil man, but more importantly, for David. She was interceding not for her husband, but for David. To keep David from sinning. And so my prayer today is that that we consider that role that God has given us. The intercessory role to to have a heart for those who are being called by God and used by God. And to be able to help them, raise them up, affirm them, protect them, ask God to deliver them. And, And for us, not to fall into temptation. Not to think that because I've been strong yesterday, I walked away from temptation that it will not happen to me again. Let's close in prayer and continue next week. Lord, we thank you so much, Father, for this lesson of David again, how you, how you demonstrate your love for us, how we see in his life all the characteristics that we have, Lord, how you took a man who had warts and yet you raised him up to be king and put him in the lineage of Jesus. Lord, I ask you that this lesson resonates with us this week, that we continue to reflect on it and draw sustenance from it That we aspire to live the kind of life that Abigail did, to be able to intercede even when it seems like there is no hope, to be able to have humility uh, as we seek reconciliation. Lord, be with our men, protect them this week, and bring them back safely next week to continue the study of your word. We put all of this in Jesus' precious name, amen. God bless you.